Without a doubt, the Sox are a million times better this year. Hashtag no lie. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. Today we are back to uh, finish off uh, I guess a two-part podcast series we started last week and that was looking at rotational volatility where situations that could change during the season, positions that are I guess up for up for discussion through training camp with media day starting yesterday. We're starting to get a little bit of a clearer idea of all this stuff happening, and we're going to be looking at the Western Conference today. We did the Eastern Conference last week, so I am joined once again by the author of these articles over on Basketball Monster, and that is Kyle McEwen. Kyle, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Josh. Um, we did this last week. We talked Eastern Conference. We're going to talk Western Conference today, but before we talk about that, yesterday you would have seen my podcast doing the mock draft Um and yeah, Kyle, I apologize for calling you many names during that show for taking my picks and everyone else that I, uh, that I, uh, may, may or may not have called assholes for taking the players that I liked. So that's just the way, that's just the way shit rolls when it's a, when it's a draft. So I do apologize for any, uh, any foul mouth language I directed your way. Yeah. I know a lot of the listeners, um, check out the show, the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, uh, as a podcast. But if you don't go to Josh's YouTube channel too often, go check out the, the live mock draft on the YouTube channel because it's a lot of fun to sit and watch Josh react to stuff live as you're watching the picks go off. Even to just have him sitting there going, oh, come on, Kyle, make your damn pick. You know, like what's taking so long? And uh, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And um, one of the cool things I thought is we had two in this experts uh, mock draft. We also had two Basketball Monster users participate in the mock draft. And um, they they made a lot of picks where they were sniping oh, your picks. And, those those, and those so, were the assholes. They were the ones apologized yeah. to you two guys. But man, you were taking my picks <laughs> everywhere. Really, really killing me. They really were. And it was fun to watch. I was like, hell yeah, guys. Way to get, you know, way to get Josh. So, so that was a lot of fun to watch. And uh, Kyle's written that up as an article over on Basketball Monster as well, so go check out Kyle. You've, you've heard my thoughts on it. Listen to this podcast. If you haven't, you can go back and do it, and you can see it play out in the video, but go and read Kyle's thoughts on the mock over on Basketball Monster, which has just gone up uh, probably a few hours earlier than when you're listening to this. Now, Kyle, let's let's talk about what we're going to talk about. You wrote a, a significant thesis on this over on the site talking about um, the Western Conference roster or rotational volatility. We're not going to go through everything that you've written over there. We're going to go through each team and highlight you know, one specific um, situation and talk about how we think that's going to go down, as we did with the Eastern Conference. Let's start with start with the Dallas Mavericks, because they have come out and said, no, Nerlens Noel is going to come off the bench. And this is something that I said as soon as Nerlens signed that deal, that qualifying offer. I said, you know what? People go, oh, you know what? This, it's Nerlens Noel contract year. He's going to get big minutes. Like, let's Let's just calm down, because... Not necessarily sure that's going to be the case. Dallas doesn't have any motivation to do that. They're best off with the pencil at the four and Dirk at the five, and that's what they're going to go with. So Noel's value there is muted, but what it does is it opens up a position on the wing. Where's Matthews? We presume is going to get one of those spots, but that's not locked in stone. Dennis Smith's going to be point guard. So there's the two and the three that are open there. Dorian Finney-Smith, Wes Matthews, Yogi Ferrell's name's been bandied about, Seth Curry in the mix there as well. So what are we looking at with this shooting guard position, which is really the one I guess we're looking at. So I'm fairly confident Wes will start, but it's the shooting guard position that we're really looking at here in Dallas. Yeah, I think you're mostly just looking at Seth Curry. You know, when you consider the other players who are... Uh, possible guys who could could start at shooting guard 
um, or out on that wing. You're looking at Devin Harris, J.J. Barea, Yogi Ferrell. Look, Yogi Ferrell, is, he's like the fifth point guard eligible player, point guard type player on this on this team. And I think in some respects, the point guard and shooting guard position are going to be interchangeable on this team because of the guys that they're looking to play there. I mean, look at everybody that we've talked about. It's all point guards who and some guys who have just kind of gotten shifted over to shooting guard because that's where they've had to find their niche in the NBA throughout their career, whether or especially lately, whether you're talking about J.J. Barea, Devin Harris or Seth Curry. And, and we know that Harrison Barnes is starting at power forward. We are pretty certain that Derek Nowitzki is going to end up being the starting center. So it, when you look at the options, I, I don't see any way that Seth Curry's not going to be the starting shooting guard for that team. I mean, they would have to decide to go with Dorian Finney-Smith on the mm-hmm. on the wing potentially and then start Wes Matthews maybe at shooting guard. That's the only option I see that makes sense simply because they maybe want to get more versatile defense in the in the you know in the starting lineup because who the heck's going to protect that rim with Dirk Nowitzki down there playing center oh, no, there's nobody Dirk's not doing it Barnes isn't doing it. there's nobody that can play any defense really there in that you know Wes Matthews was a good defender but he's not really a good defender anymore there's no there's no defense in that starting five whatsoever so they're going to be fun there's going to be offense happening there's going to be stats put up and hopefully that means they can play at a somewhat faster pace than what they did last season which i think they will be able to increase that but yeah there is uh, some concern I, I like seth as a, as a late round pick a high efficiency three-point shooter which is not an easy thing to find you can get over two triples a game from him maybe three assists but you do you get it on you know extraordinarily high free throw percentage but more importantly he's a guy that could be a 48 percent field goal guy which is you know, massive for a guy that's hitting two threes per game which you get late so i do like his value especially compared to his adp of 121 or 111 on espn so i agree with you i think that he is the favorite to take that uh to take that starting or that bulk role there at shooting guard now the denver nuggets kyle i do want to talk about their point guard because michael malone has come out and said that's the only position that's up for grabs but i also want to talk about the the delusion the um um, I'm not sure how best to say it. Look, the utter, um, and if there's anyone listening who doesn't want to hear me swear, I apologize, but the utter dumb fuckery of Kenneth Fareed to come out and, and say that oh, I'm a starter, I have to start, and if I don't get a starting job, I have to go somewhere else. Ken, you're not that good, mate. Like, okay, well, now you have to think you're that good, but you come out the first day, all right, guys, we're back for the new season, and he just comes in and goes, well, I'm better than everyone, I'm starting. Like, calm down, mate. You're not that good. So I was tr- what does this mean for I was, him? I, it does, it, what it means is that he was probably told that he might not play this year. Yeah, exactly. And he comes out and he's like, what? No, I'm a starter, man. What do you mean? I'm going to be behind all these guys. And it's like, dude, you don't fit what we do. You are at best a backup center in this league. And you know what's hilarious is <laughs> Kenneth Reed came out and, and in, in addition to him saying he's a starter, there was a, a lot of other stuff he was rambling yeah. on about saying that he was working on things this offseason, but he doesn't like to tell you guys talking about the media what he's doing. And it's like, well, if you don't want to tell us what you're doing, if you don't want us to pimp out your story, then how how are you going to build up your value? How are you going to build up your per, the perception that you deserve to have a, a working role on this team? Because realistically, when you look at that power forward position, now that Paul Millsap is starting there, you're, do you really want to bring a Kenneth Reed off the bench next to Mason Plumley? That just sounds like <sighs> the worst idea ever. <laughs> the, the one thing I can think of that Kenneth Reed must have been working on over the offseason is a time machine to go back to 2009 when his style of play might have been relevant in the NBA. That's the only thing that's going to help him in terms of getting that value up. I like you. I don't think he was going to be necessarily an every night player. 
I would much prefer, and I'm not Michael Malone, clearly, because if I was, I would have made different decisions last season. But Wancho is a better option as the backup four there. Develop him, not a guy like Fareed who is you know, who's going to struggle. Look, now, Fareed and Jokic, they do work okay together. So I can understand that Jokic can open things up for Fareed with you know, passing and alley-oops and all that sort of stuff. But, man, the inflated opinion that can... And obviously, some fantasy drafters have an inflated opinion of Kenneth Fareed because he has an ADP of 139 on Yahoo. Hopefully, that's just happened in one draft and one person drafted in there and that gave him that ADP. But I don't know what he's talking about. And he's one of those guys, Kyle, that I feel like people just leave like they just hang on to this value if he gets traded somewhere people go oh man god he's going to be top 50 now he's going to play 30 minutes like he's just not good enough to do that he just is really limited in what he can do freed has got his head up his ass and he's not going to play a lot of minutes this year and that's about i think we spent too much time on him yeah let's let's talk point guard let's talk about um malone saying that it is an open competition between the blue arrow between manny moutier and jameer nelson I think we're all fairly locked in that it is going to be Murray, but there is now a, a, a level of doubt there um, with Jamal. I still think that he, given his ADP, he's a fantastic guy to draft. He's a guy that you look for at the end or you know, getting as, as, as you get close to pick 100, even though his ADP is 132 on Yahoo, and he does have top 70 potential. But I think if you're taking him inside the top 70, that's a significant risk. There's, um, you know, it's tough to figure out where to draw draft Jamal Murray this year because people are so high on him that yep. he's going early. So you do have to kind of measure that. And then it's also, you're also reacting to your draft sometimes. And, and I also look at Jamal Murray and I say, I know he can be more efficient or I feel as though he's going to be a more efficient player as he goes on in his career. So I'm bumping up my expectations of his production based on the idea that he's going to be more, more efficient as well. Now, coach Mike Malone also pointed out that Jamal Murray's best position is point guard. Now he's not as good off the ball. He's, this is what, this is what Mike Malone said. So at, at the same time that Malone is saying, we have this point guard, battle what i think he's really saying here and if you i've been listening to you know the locked on nuggets podcast and other podcasts and reading through all these articles about media day and about everything that was said to try to get a handle on everybody's perspective from denver you know people that are around that situation and it's pretty much like yeah yeah malone said this that there's this competition for point guard to to begin training camp but Jamal Murray's going to end up being the starting point guard. Like, everybody keeps saying that. And I know that I probably sound a little bit callous and just disregarding this, this, this mentioning by Mike Malone. But I think the scope that you need to look at things under which he said it is that he wants Jameer Nelson, who comes into, year, comes into camp every year acting like he deserves to be the starter from a certain perspective, and Moutier to be motivated. And if he just straight up comes out and says that those two guys are fighting for the backup spot, you've got the potential to alienate both of those guys. Now, Jameer probably plans on being the backup this year, but Moutier is literally fighting to whether or not to even be in the rotation on on some nights. So I think taking that into consideration, Mike Malone just didn't want to take away anybody's fire going into camp. But if you look at the way the team is laying everything out about how who they plan to have in the starting lineup, which we have confirmation of the other four spots in Jokic, Millsap, Gary Harris, and Wilson Chandler, Jamal Murray's just the obvious person to put in there with them if if they're really actually trying to get to the playoffs this year and they don't want to, you know, dick around with things. Yeah, I I agree. It doesn't it doesn't really give me much pause on it, but it it does. I guess yeah. Some people like, oh, he's going as you said, like he's going earlier than that ADP in a lot of situations. And if someone takes him at pick fifty, I don't go, oh wow, well, oh my god, I've missed out on Murray. What am I going to do? I just go oh, well. 
you know, I'll just go get someone else. That means that someone else there definitely has to fall because, you know, I think that that's, you know, look, Murray could easily reach the 50th pick, but it's like also your know, teammate Gary Harris. Like if Gaza goes at pick 55, I don't go, oh man, he was a guy that I had to get or I have to make sure I jump ahead of this guy to get him at 55. It's like, oh, well, I'll get someone else a little bit later. It, it doesn't, it's not the end of the world if these guys go 50 spots higher than their ADP and you miss out on them. It's, there are other guys around. They represent really good value that you can target 20 spots above their ADP, 30 spots. But if you're going to reaching 50 spots above, you're taking out just a lot of the value there in that selection, in my opinion. Um, Golden State. There's not a lot of rotational volatility here in Golden State, is there? Like, we know who, we know who's getting the minutes. We know that it's Draymond and Durant and Curry and Clay. We know that Zaza is going to start at center and play under 20 minutes and David West and JaVale McGee are going to be his backups. I think the big question mark is, um, and this more applies to deeper leagues, with the departure of Ian Clark, you know, what happens there? Do we see more minutes for Shawnee Livingston? Does Andre Iguodala have a bump in his role? Or does Pat McCaw or Nick Young? Look, who's the one who gets that that extra role there? Is it, is it Young? Is it McCaw? They're probably the two major guys. And how does that impact us for fantasy, if at all? I do think that you know some people are worried about the potential for Golden State to rest their players often because they're going to be so dominant. But I think the only time you're really going to see Golden State rest players is if they're blowing teams out, they give all of their starters their close to their normal minutes through the third quarter and then they say and eh, we got this we got this game locked up let's just roll out a bunch of bums there for most of the fourth quarter or you know our bench for most of the fourth quarter um but that's probably not going to happen nearly as much as what people suspect it didn't happen nearly as much as what people right. suspect last season and we also have no four games in five night sets this season we have less back-to-back sets this season or fewer back-to-back sets this season um, the only players who Steve Kerr said the team is going to make a pointed uh, decision to rest at times throughout the season, and he said this like in the middle of the summer during the summer league, I believe it was. So uh, this may have been before the announcement came out that they were fixing the schedule in regards to helping with rest and things like that. But the only two players he pointed out as guys they need to find time for rest for this season are Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston. Yep. And that's also probably due to the fact that the team just looked at their roster and said, well, we know we're going to want to give Patrick McCall minutes at, at those guard spots, and he's going to be seeing less minutes this year if if we've got um, my homeboy Nick Young playing a lot of minutes on the wing. So you look at those situations and that's really those are the only like like that's what we're talking about here backup guys and how those minutes are going to get distributed on given nights so i mean yeah there's really not a lot of volatility here with the warriors unless we see an injury yeah exactly so it's more for deeper leagues nick young will be an an interesting three-point streamer that could hit two threes a game in limited minutes um mccaw is going to be a guy that you you can add in on those nights where iguodala sits to get yourself some assists and steals but overall it's it's just not a lot to really that's really going to change here Houston's a similar situation. Um, there is some volatility. I know we differ a little bit on what they're going to do with their power forward position. You think that you're going to see more PJ Tucker there. I think that we're going to see uh, less Ryan Anderson in the last season, but more than what you expect. So I guess that's really the only level of you know, volatility there. And that could, that's something that could change during the season if Tucker, um, I guess, really provides that value that they're looking for in that starting lineup alongside Chris Paul and Anderson does get limited to a to a bench offensive big man. Well, I think I think Luke Mbamute could end up yep. stealing minutes from Anderson too because you you got to have those guys who can play defense and shoot the three out there if you're going to be matching up with Golden State. And it's I loved see. I love that. So, so uh, Daryl Morey came out and said that, or he said in the past, he's like, you know, you can't just plan your team for one team. You know, you can't build your team plan for to take down one other team. But he admitted 
in today's NBA, like you kind of have to do that. Like the one team you have to get past, especially in the Western Conference, is Golden State. And that's why that's why that's why they brought in PJ Tucker and, and added extra guys who can provide that perimeter defense, who have the length and the uh, the fight to be able to go up against guys like the guys that Golden State has in Durant and Clay Thompson and and so on and so forth. So I just I don't see how Ryan Anderson really fits well unless they plan to use him as a stretch center. And if they start doing that, then they're taking away minutes from Clint Capella, which we know can't happen this year. Yeah, and their defense would really struggle in that case with uh, with Capella. I, I don't, I know you don't believe either that we don't believe that Anderson is a standard league caliber player. You put him in the Nick Young category, he's a three-point streamer, but he's not someone that I would want to draft in any um, 12-team type of situation. He is getting drafted inside the top 120 on Yahoo and ESPN, and that won't be by me in any type of situation. Would you draft P.J. Tucker in a standard league, do you think, Kyle? 98 in uh, in my rankings, but that's also because P.J. Tucker is historically healthy. He stays healthy. Right now he's dealing with, I think, a strained hamstring to yep. begin camp, so there might be some limitations there. Um but Ryan Anderson also misses games. So when you look at my projection of P.J. Tucker and you see that he's playing 30 minutes a game, some of that's because during certain stretches of the season he'll play more than that because other players are out. And then, obviously, when the team's healthy, he'll play less than the 30 minutes a night, most likely. Let's move on to a team now who does have some actual uh, volatility um, potential, and that is the Los Angeles Clippers. And I want to focus on their backcourt, especially the point guard position where we've got Pat Beverly and Milos Teodosic. Um, in the mix there. I know we're both really interested in Tia Dosich, and someone tweeted me today, you don't really talk about Beverly too much. Let's talk about both of those guys today. I think that Beverly, regardless of what happens with Tia Dosich, I think that Beverly's going to get a good chunk of minutes, and he's going to be valuable, not for scoring, but he's a strong rebounding guard. He'll get uh, his bunch of steals, he'll hit his threes, and he can be a, a decent source of assists. I don't think he's got a very high upside, but I think he's got a fairly stable floor, regardless of what they do with Tay Dosich, because we saw Beverly last season. He can play He can play alongside another guard in the backcourt, another point guard, like he did with James Harden, and a Beverly Tay Dosich backcourt. I think would work really well for this team. So, you know, I think Beverly's a fairly you know, solid option, but Teodosic is the guy with that significant upside there out of those two. And I think he's got upside to be a, he could be a top 75 type of player if the minutes go his way. Absolutely. Like Patrick Beverly's expected to get good minutes this year. He could have show off a little bit of an expanded game on the Clippers now that he's not going to be playing next to James Harden, although there's plenty of other mouths to feed on that Clippers team. And you just talked about the fact that Tia Dosik is there and he's probably going to be coming off the bench and, and handling a lot, handling the ball a lot. Patrick Beverly is a defense first player and that reflects in the production that he puts out. You know, he, he lets the game come to him in a lot of respects, whether that's his scoring or his facilitation. And he focuses so much of his energy on the defense defense end that you don't often see him put up gaudy offensive stats and that's one reason why his fantasy potential is limited his fantasy ceiling is limited and and, and yeah whereas you look at a guy like Teodosic, he might come out on a given game I mean there's going to be a couple games this season where he's going to come out and he's going to be the leading scorer for the Clippers because he's on and things are happening yep yeah agree with that completely um let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers and as weird as is as, as it is for a team that's as bad as what the Lakers have been and project to be. There's not much in terms of volatility here. Now, the query I have, I guess, is 
what's happening in the front court because there's Julius Randle, who, who didn't play 30 minutes a night last season, and some of those minutes he got was at the center position. But now we've got, if it's a Zubats there, we've got Brooke Lopez, we've got Andrew Bogut, we've got three centers who you could say were better than the centers they had last year, which was Mozgov, Black, and obviously rookie Zubats, who in his second year, you hope there's an improvement. So the minutes at center for him might be a little bit reduced. There's Larry Nance, who was dealing with a knee injury for big chunks of last season, and they drafted everybody's rookie boyfriend, Kyle Kuzma, who everyone just really, really wants to uh, really wants to give the old reach around to. They're massive Kuzma fans. So there are a lot of players there in that front court. So I guess there is a level of volatility. The other thing is, it feels inevitable to me, Kyle, that Randall's not going to be with this team next season. He is, they're going to decline. They're not going to give him an extension or they're going to trade him during the season and, or they're going to just, you know, decline his restricted free agent qualifying offer so they can open up that cap space because they pretty much have to in if they're looking to bring in these free agents. So maybe they look at it and go, well, you know, Randall can help us a bit this season, but let's see what Kuzma, let's see what Nance can do. Let's keep him at this 28, 29 minute mark. I know a lot of people are talking up Randall. He's going to be his big breakout player this year. But I have my concerns with him. Um, I look. I'm lukewarm on on Julius Randle on whether or not he's going to continue to improve this season. Whether his field goal percentage improvement from I think it was 42 or 43 percent last year to or from two years ago to 48 percent last year, whether or not that's real and sustainable. But I'm extremely intrigued by the fact that Brooke Lopez is there to be outstretching the floor and how much that's going to open the driving lanes for Julius Randle. Um. Also, just how much that stretches out the floor and having a good passer or a pass-first point guard out there in in Lonzo Ball, that, that should bode well for Julius Randle as well. Um, it's I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic about the potential for Julius Randle, but he's you're right. There, there seems to be a, uh, a draw to him. Maybe it's just because he's on the Lakers or because he puts up, you know, he does put up great rebounding numbers. And, good rebounder. And, and, and 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 intriguing assists. Look, if you're not looking for defensive stats or three-pointers from him, but he's apparently gotten better at shooting the three-pointer as well. He's lost weight this season. There's there's a lot of reasons to be to be optimistic about what he could be. And 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 in a league where we don't know what's going to happen from right now to five minutes from now, uh, given all the movement that's transpired over the last five months, it's um. I, you know, who's to say who, if, if people end up signing in with the Lakers next year or if they end up getting stuck with this exact same roster and just re-signing guys and, and going with the, the continuing to go the development route. I don't think that'll happen, but um, you know, who knows? Yeah, my, my issue with him is it's, it's like he is a good rebounder, but it's, it's going to be those minutes there. Like how is he – like he only played 28.8 minutes per game last year. He was the 101st ranked player and he's getting drafted at 71. So we're expecting with an influx of talent on this team, not just in the backcourt but in the frontcourt as well, that he is going to jump up 30 spots in the rankings even after he jumped last season you know, at 40 spots there. So we're expecting another big jump to get him at that spot. And I think in order for him to jump that much, you need him to play 31 minutes a night. And I just, I just don't see how it's going to happen unless they just say, well, we're just going to really limit what Nance can do. We're not going to play Kuzma at all. Um, Zubats is going to be out of the rotation and we're going to have, you know, uh, Randall playing five minutes a night at center as well, which, and all those things could happen. But given the way that they've used Nance and they've you know, had value there with him, that Lopez is here. There's just names here. There's players here who have feels it's just going to make it hard for Randall to get those extra two or three minutes per night that's going to push him up into that top 75 range. I think if he gets those minutes, then that's a fine pick, but you've got to 
you know, balance it and go, how is he going to get those extra minutes? How is it going to fit with everyone else? And that's where my concern is, but it could definitely work. I'm just not willing to invest a top 75 oh. pick on a guy like Randall. And that's fair. I mean, I think there's enough question marks to to have your, your questions about him. Um, but when I look back to last season, there was a 14-game stretch right after the All-Star break when uh, Coach Luke Walton decided he was going to go to all of his future players, the, 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 the core of the team moving, moving forward, ideally, and he's going to give them good rotation minutes for about a month, and he did. From February 24th to March 24th, 14-game stretch, Julius Randle started at power forward and played 31.7 minutes per yep. game during that stretch. And that, I think, informs at least a little bit of what you could expect from that power forward rotation with the team, you know, constructed currently the way they are and all this kind of stuff. And if the team really is committed to Julius Randle being somebody who either they want to showcase to potentially trade this season or somebody who they legitimately see as a a part of their core going forward. Now, I don't really feel like Randle's name was brought up a lot this this summer you know when you have a change in the front office and this year now we have uh, Rob Palenka and Magic Johnson there <laughs> instead of the old the old guard the old guards players kind of become a little bit less important to that team because there's less of a uh there's less of an investment in them personally so yeah Randall is is Randall's status on the team is absolutely in question I just I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic about him because when I look at Larry Nance as well uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have this perception that Nance's knee issues are like a chronic thing that has been plaguing him most of his life. And, and also with the way that he plays kind of a high-powered game, he's probably – I don't really see him escaping those those knee issues going forward. And then we also know that Nance deals with Crohn's disease, and I'm not, I, I'm not that familiar with the disease other than having coworkers at times who have had it, and I've seen them struggle with it from a personal perspective and just in their regular life. I don't know how that impacts Nance's day-to-day ability to be a, a high-minute player. So just those things, all those things right there. And I'm not worried about Kuzma taking away Randall's minutes, to no, be completely honest. I'm not, I'm not. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's more Nance. But look, there is that upside there with Randall. But it's definitely, there is, as you can see, we talked about it for about five or ten minutes. There is questions about it. And there is different ways that it can go. It's not set in stone. It's not like Brandon Ingram starting small forward and he's playing 30 plus minutes. Like we, We're guaranteed that. Like We know that's happening. Contavious Kowal Pope's going to start and he's going to play 30 plus minutes. We know that. Powerful, we go, oh, we can go these different ways. And that's sort of what we're trying to get at here. Let's talk about Memphis. Um, the starting shooting guard position is the interesting one. I would have locked in Ben McLemore for that position, but he's clearly, well, clearly, he is dealing with a broken foot at the moment. So he's not going to be ready to start the season. There's Wayne Selden, who I believe will be the starter there. Um, and then now that Troy Daniels has gone, he's sort of out of that mix. And there's Tyreek Evans, who will probably man that role off the bench. What do we make of Selden? What do we make of McLemore? And I think everyone knows that I'm a, I'm big on Evans as a as a last pick flyer in drafts as that guy who's going to run that second unit in 28, 29 minutes a night, which I think he can get playing back up two, back up three. And he's going to put up those numbers. But let's talk about you know, McLemore and Selden there as a that starting potential starting combination over the first month or two of the season. I think we've seen we saw with the Kings that Ben McLemore was having trouble finding his way in the NBA whether that be on offense or defense and I don't know if the change in um, location geography is going to the teams is going to make Ben McLemore a better player or if he's going to find his niche on this Grizzlies team so I I think they brought him in to be the starter at shooting guard but I'm not convinced that he's going to earn more than 26 minutes a game, even if he is starting when he's healthy and not being in training camp, not being there to 
acclimate himself to learn the new the new offense to be able to stand there on the court and learn it it's and walk through everything it's it's difficult to see him coming in and carving out a huge role this season although it's definitely a possibility Tyreek Evans can play shooting guard he can play small forward they can use him as a point guard so he's got three different positions he can play at if the team needs him to play big minutes that's what makes Tyreek Evans so intriguing to me and I mean there's even situations where you could theoretically use Tyreek Evans as a small ball four because of his length um yeah, you like Evans, but if there's the question marks like with a lot of these guys on, on the Grizzlies. Can Tyreek Evans stay healthy? And when he is playing and quote-unquote healthy, is he healthy enough to actually play at a high level that demands that he gets minutes on this team? And and those last, like you said, Tyreek Evans is a great player to grab near the end of your draft as a flyer to see what he can be because if he plays 30 minutes a night and he's healthy, he's going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, exactly. And same, same with Chandler Parsons, which I've mentioned plenty of times. I would take Evans over Parsons, but Parsons looks like he's going to be a full participant in training camp, which is huge, huge news for him. And I've got no issue with taking those guys with that last pick. And people go, I'm never taking Parsons again. He's a bulk. It's your last pick, man. If, if he looks shit in the first week, get rid of him. Who cares? What, what have you missed out on? Most of the time, nothing. And you know, there's not many players you can get there who have legitimately got top 50 upside with both Evans and Parsons do in the right type of situation. Um, Minnesota, the power forward position, I feel like, is the big one here. We know that it's going to be uh, Jeff Teague My name is Jeff. at point guard. It's going to be Wigo at shooting guard, Jim Butler at small forward. And Townsie's going to be starting at center. But is it going to be Gorgie Jeng? Is it going to be Taj Gibson? And regardless of who it is, how are those minutes going to go? And I cannot get a read on it really at this point. I think it's going to be Jeng, and I think he gets the bulk of the minutes, but does bulk mean 28 or does it mean 32? I, I can't get a full read on it at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in a general regard. It's, uh, but I wouldn't, you know, when you hear about the team thinking about bringing in Andrew Bogut oh, too, you pointed this out last week. It, it makes you wonder, are they, what exactly is Thibodeau considering here is is he looking at using Jimmy Butler Andrew Wiggins as small ball fours a lot because if he is including Shabazz Muhammad then that could end up and then Nemanja Bielitsa does he play how much does he play he's apparently looking like he's going to be healthy and potentially ready to go for the start of the season so there are other options there that Thibodeau could go with if he thinks Gorgie Jang's just not the guy for him there anymore but you would think they'd at least want to keep Jang as a as the starting power forward and a considerable part of the rotation to begin the season because, if nothing else, maybe they're looking to trade him to try to get uh, another piece that maybe fits better next to Carl Anthony Towns. I just people just think that Taj Gibson is going to come in and play thirty minutes a night. I just I cannot see that as being realistic in any sense. Like. He's fine, but he's not that good anymore. And I would say he's probably worse than what Gorgie Jeng is as a player. He he wasn't great last season. Gibson he he did struggle, um, you know, quite a bit, uh, especially in Oklahoma City. He put up some okay performances, but he wasn't fantastic. And Jeng, with what he can do defensively, you know, switching and playing at center and being able to hit some decent long range shots occasionally next to Towns, I, I think it does work. But it, it that Bogut thing was so curious because. Your backup center should be Gorgie Jeng, and you can play, you can play Gibson and Jeng together. But saying on oh, no, that just makes me think that he's going to want to play Gibson and Jeng solely as the as power forwards, which just 
it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Now, Jeng's getting drafted about pick 80. He could be a top 60 player if they give him 34 or not. I just don't think that's going to be the case. So I think there's a risk there, and I, I wouldn't be looking at Taj in any sort of standard leagues. But it is it is something that I just cannot fully grasp what's going on. I know exactly what I would do if I was in that situation, but I also wouldn't have signed Taj Gibson for $14 million or whatever it was in the offseason. I wouldn't have signed Jamal Crawford onto this team. Like I wouldn't have made a lot of the decisions that Tom Thibodeau made. So I, I can't fully grasp what's going to happen there. The um, New Orleans Pelicans, obviously Solomon Hill is out, but they've brought in some other players here to take on this small forward role. We had Darius Miller, we had Etwan Moore as options, Jordan Crawford there, but since then they've also brought in Tony Allen and Dante Cunningham for a just a really tasty shit sandwich of small forward options for this team. What do we uh what do we think? I think that's going to be Dante Cunningham that starts. Is that what you think? Uh, I don't know. Um, it's very possible that Dante Cunningham is the guy that starts. Uh, it, it's possible it's Tony Allen, maybe Etwan Moore. I think they change it depending on the game and at times, or maybe just for stretches throughout the season. Is there anybody here who you legitimately look at and you go, oh, yeah, that guy's got the position locked up all year? Nope. Is It's yeah, Alan Moore, Cunningham, Crawford, Miller, Clark. Like There's six guys who could force themselves into extra minutes. I want nothing to do with any of them outside of a league that's probably 18 teams deep. Really, like I think it's just going to be that up in the air. I think Moore is probably the best option. Alan is going to be useful as a streaming steals player, even in, say, 14-team leagues, but... No one is going to be getting consistently large enough minutes or be consistently good enough to put up um, to put up numbers that's going to make you give anything more than two shits about. A guy I didn't even say, I mean, the Darius Miller thing is, I, nobody knows, I know everybody was like, who the hell is Darius Miller? He was on the team a few years ago. He was a, a low usage player who apparently the team looked at and said, yeah, this guy's good, but like he just... He's not uh, aggressive enough, and so they've talked to him now that he's back with the team after playing overseas for a couple of years, and they're like, hey, dude, you need to be more aggressive, and they exp- they think that he has become a more aggressive offensive player overseas and that he's going to step in and be able to to play uh, legitimate minutes at that small forward role. They were planning on him being this backup small forward behind Solomon Hill, and then when Solomon Hill went down, everything just kind of got thrown into the blender to say we got to bring in guys and see, if, see who's going to work. The Dante... Tony Allen available, and we can afford him, so let's get him and bring him in as a possible option. Dante Cunningham was trying to get a contract from another team, and everybody else was just like, I mean, Minnesota random team. We're, we're thinking about bringing him in, but nobody was offering as much run as what he could potentially get on the Pelicans. So that's why Cunningham resigned with the Pelicans. And then we also had Elvin Gentry telling the media yesterday that Drew Holiday is going to be the guy on the team going out and guarding those Kevin Durant's and Paul George's, which just is the stupidest thing ever for a, a thought going into the season when you're trying to plan out your defense and you're like, how are we going to stop these perimeter players? And let's let's put the guy who used to be our point guard on the on these all time great small forward power forward kind of guys like who just have tremendous length and size and athletic ability for their position. It'll be no problem for Drew Holiday to just you know figure that out. So I mean it's just completely absurd. I think this team's going to be a disaster, but it's going to be worth watching just to see how Holiday playing off the ball screws everything up. Cousins and Davis is just an absolute zombie of a roster. It is weird, and I apologize to all Pelicans fans. I'll be watching, but it just has disaster written it's, all over it. I want to talk about one other thing that's been kind of confounding me the, all summer. The, the Pelicans brought in 
Chris Finch from who used to be with Denver um, to be their lead assistant coach and to help them build an offense around two big men because yep. of what he did in Denver. But that whole two big man thing in Denver didn't really work when it was Nurkic no, it and Jokic. It worked when it was only Jokic and they became the, the, the number one offensive team after Jokic was installed as the starting center and Nurkic was no longer in the lineup. Um, now, I guess you could say, well, Fareed was still starting there, so it's kind of still was a traditional front court. But Anthony Davis is a lot different than Fareed. So there's this there's this kind of idea that DeMarcus Cousins is going to be doing this point center type thing for New Orleans, which further confuses the whole situation because are they legitimately going to run the offense through Cousins in the same way that Jokic gets the offense run through him in some regards? Because then what the hell is Rondo doing exactly. on the team? Why, why would you – Yeah, let's have Rondo as an off-ball spot-up shooter like that no one guards. Well, you might, he might as well just go sit his ass down and eat some popcorn. Like it, There's no point in him, but it, it, it is, it is going to be – it's going to be super weird. Hi, you've reached the high fashion hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. Right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 1010, select styles only. Um, Oklahoma City. We know someone. I've heard people mention me. Oh, yeah, they're going to bring Mallow off the bench. They're not bringing Mallow off the bench. He is starting as a power forward. Paul George is at small forward. Stephen Adams is at center. Russ is at point guard, and Andre Robertson is going to be the shooting guard. But that does present some problems at some point with his lack of shooting. I guess it doesn't really as much now with George and Anthony there. But the guy that um does have, I guess, some minutes available to him at that shooting guard spot is Alex Abrines, who I'm pretty interested in as a breakout type player. But neither Abrines or Robertson are going to be real fantasy targets outside of streaming for defensive stats for Robertson or threes for Abrines, I don't think this season. No, I, I, I think Robertson's awesome as as how he fits on this team. You've got three guys who can go out and score and Robertson can guard the best perimeter player every night and not worry about doing a damn thing other than, you know, taking a shot when he's open, whether he's going to miss it or not. So um, I love that. Abrinas, maybe they maybe they end up looking at the situation. You know, they're going to bring Abrinas off the bench just because they need scoring off the bench. Yep. And um, that'll, he, you know, he might excel and do really well just because he's surrounded by so many good players. But hopefully we see a, a lot of staggered rotations so that two of Westbrook, George, and Anthony are always on the, the court together. Yeah, I think Abrinas is going to be, put him in the Nick Young category of a guy that's going to come in and you can stream for two threes a night. I think that's going to be his role. He could score 10 points a game and hit 2.5. Just completely unrelated to this. I was looking it up yesterday. Denzel Valentine scored five points per game last season and he hit 1.3 triples per game. So four of his five points came from behind the line, which I thought was staggering. I think his three-point percentage was almost the same as his field goal percentage as well. that, That was staggering to me. That he that four of his five points every game came from from three. Apparently, um, you know, Hoiberg just doesn't have any understanding of what Valentine's game is, and the fact that he look, I get it. Valentine is slow, and he he's methodical in his movements. He's not the most athletic guy, but you don't have to be super fast to be able to 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 work things out. You know, Dennis Schroeder. He looks like he's moving slow a lot of the time. Kyle Anderson's 
Zone, very methodical very in the way he moves. And these guys find ways to do things and, and be efficient and play well. Like, whatever. I'm not I'm not worried about that. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to see Valentine's uh, expanded game this season because <laughs> he should definitely be putting the ball on the, the floor a lot more and bringing it up and, and pretty much, like you said in, the I think, your podcast yesterday, or, you know, you're talking about Valentine being, like, the de facto point guard in some regard. So yeah, Taking that sort of Jimmy Butler role that was yeah butler initiating things from the wing yeah valentine could do that i love valentine as a late round pick now justin holiday you know to a lesser degree more of a steals type of guy but both of those players can have value we don't know what that that is that roster is a a disgusting mess at the moment but valentine has some uh, appeal depends on what hoiberg is going to do with that but i'd take valentine over holiday and zipser if they're all getting the same minutes but we just don't know that at this point now let's get back to what we were actually talking about here we'll move on to the phoenix suns they signed tj warren to a Really nice four-year, $50 million extension yesterday. I was a big fan of that. I, I rate Warren a lot. I think it's a cheap contract. Um, Josh Jackson is in town, but I don't have any any concern really about Jackson um, impacting Warren too much for this season, or do you see it a different way? I know Matt believes that uh, you know, Jackson's going to be starting in about two months' time. I just, I'm not what? sure that that's, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not big on Jackson. I haven't been as big on him throughout the whole pre-draft process. I think his shooting is going to be a serious impediment and not that Warren's a good shooter, but he can at least finish and he can, he's shown some ability to score and do some things. And while Jackson is a, a defensive maniac, I'm just, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not sure that we're going to see much out of Jackson. I still feel pretty confident about getting Warren in the last rounds of the draft where you can get him in most situations. Yeah, that, I'm not worried about Josh Jackson stealing too many minutes from DJ Warren. I think Josh Jackson's going to find his minutes off the bench, backing up Devin Booker, backing up TJ Warren. They can use him as a small ball power forward. There's a lot of places that Josh Jackson can can find his minutes this year, and he will find them, but I don't think it's going to be at the expense of TJ Warren or Devin Booker or Marquise Chris or Dragon Bender. He might find minutes as a result of guys like Marquise Chris getting into foul trouble uh, or just, you know, somebody getting an injury or something. But like they're going to make a point to make Josh Jackson a, a regular part of the rotation. He's going to be in the rotation from Jump Street. But if T.J. Warren's not going to be – it's not going to be a one-for-one situation there where T.J. Warren's minutes are completely dependent upon Josh Jackson. If anything, I think Josh Jackson's minutes might depend on how good T.J. Warren's playing – and yet we've seen T.J. Warren be somewhat of a streaky player throughout his career, but that's also because he picks his spots well. So if he has a, a down game, it looks like a really big down game, whereas like in reality he's probably doing everything right. He just had that one bad shooting game or, or whatnot. And last year there was the, the head injury that T.J. Warren had that was likely um, vertigo. And look, weird stuff happens. People contract weird injuries, weird diseases, and, and uh, I know you can't contract an injury, but... Um, but anyways, like Josh Jackson's not going to take away TJ Warren's minutes the way that people might suspect. And, um, this contract extension or the, the for TJ Warren is huge as far as solidifying his value on this team in my, in my mind. It's crazy to me that TJ Warren is getting drafted after Josh Jackson, 130 for Warren and 114 for Jackson. That's crazy to me. Um, but a lot of crackheads out there. A lot of people can, you can take Jackson. I'll, I'll, I'll wait to 130 and I'll take TJ Warren. I'll be pretty happy with it. We're talking about a guy that was a top 50 player after the All-Star break who was scoring and rebounding with the efficiency that I think was matched by LeBron. And that's probably it at that point, just in those couple of categories. He was doing stuff at, at a massive, massive rate. And I really rate TJ Warren. So it's interesting to see how he goes. And we must remember that 
draft picks aren't always good. And Josh Jackson, yes, they invested pick four in him, but the Grizzlies invested pick two in Hashim Thabit. The Cavs invested pick one in Anthony Bennett. Um, the Wizards invested pick six in Jan Vesely. The Bucks invested pick six in um, Joe Alexander. Uh, there are players who get picked high who are shitful. And I'm not saying Jackson's going to be. He might not be. But there are a reason that these guys were picked as high as they were because they thought, hey, these guys can come in and be an impactful player. And it might be Jackson who who isn't that. Maybe Fox is the guy that struggles. Maybe it's Tatum. Maybe it's Isaac. Who knows? But someone, someone in the top seven or eight is going to be that bad. They're going to be bad, and we don't know who it's going to be just yet. Dennis Smith sucks. Yeah, well, he's he's not in the top. I'm I, joking. I, le- I left him I'm out. Not, I left I'm him joking. out because he's here. Yeah, don't don't badmouth Dennis Smith because I've got uh, I got some nice money riding on that at sixteen to one for rookie of the year, and I'm pretty happy with that. Mm. Now that he's in at oh, five yeah. five to one, I'm pretty I'm really good really good with that. No, I think that's a good that's a good one to take. Portland, the power forward position. Noah Vonley had it down at the end of last season next to Yusuf Nurkic, but he is dealing with a shoulder sprain, which could keep him out for the first week or two of the season. Ed Davis had been chatting to Kenneth Farid, and he's come out and said he wants to start. <laughs> Sorry, Ed, probably not going to happen. Um, Caleb Swanigan has said he wants to be in the mix for that starting power forward position. And Myers Leonard, there's so much talk about Myers Leonard reinvigorating himself, changing his game with, and I can't remember the guy's name, someone Hanlon or Hanson, some noted NBA trainer been working with him. And yeah, Myers apparently at the end of last season rated his game as a 30 out of 100. Now he rates himself as an 80 out of 100. So he's got that confidence back. So there is a, there is a position open there at that power forward position. I would love to see Leonard get it because it does open things up. His defense is a massive issue at power forward, but there is there is minutes there. Is it Al Farouk Aminu who gets that starting power forward position, or is it just going to be a hodgepodge of 27 minutes for one bloke, 22 for another, and Ed Davis um, you know, scratching his nuts on the bench? Yeah, Terry Sott said that he's very open to anybody stepping into those small forward or power forward starting positions. The only three starting positions that are locked down are point guard, shooting guard, and center with Nurkic and CJ and Damian. Um, <clears throat> I think we expect Mo Harkless to end up being the starting yeah. small forward. They, the team said after last season that they really liked having Evan Turner in that backup point guard role, so it's hard to imagine them coming off of that idea. Um, when no, when Noah Vonley is healthy and ready to return, though, he's only going to miss, like, what, two weeks maybe? Yeah, max. So I, th- I think you might see some guys get thrown into that starting power forward position over the first couple weeks, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you're going to see stats going with somebody else the next game. Um, Caleb Swanigan was getting talked up by several of his teammates. Maybe it's just talking up the Rook um, to give him some confidence, but they weren't talking up Zach Collins like they are Caleb Swanigan. So um, there's some reason to be a little bit intrigued by the old Caleb Swanigan uh, chatter, especially if you're playing in deep leagues. You know, Zach Collins, though, I hate that. I, okay, that was strong. Um, I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see what what there is in Zach Collins. The fact that he got picked so high in the draft, uh, I'm just, I'm kind of lost on it. I, I know that his, his stats project well from college to the NBA. But when I went back and watched Zach Collins, his game tape, I was just kind of like, wait, what this, everybody was geeked on him because of this game or that game. I went back to watch them. I didn't see much. There were like, it was a limited sample size in so many regards out of what we saw at Zach Collins in college. And uh, I'm just not sold on it. I like Zach Collins, but I, I agree. I think that he is going to struggle this season. And for a while, I think he's a better long-term prospect than Swanigan. Um, but I think we're going to see much more production out of Caleb this year than what we see with Collins. The problem, One of the big problems I have with Collins is over the last five seasons, he's been a starter for one year. 
that when that was his senior year in high school. Like his three previous seasons in high school, he backed up Stephen Zimmerman, who is now about to get cut by the Lakers, and then he backed up um, Karnowski at Gonzaga last season. So he hasn't been in any sort of big minute role. It's going to take him a while. Um, I, I like what he can do, especially his fantasy upside. You know, big rebounder, good shot blocker, really efficient. That's all good stuff, but it's not going to happen this season. He's not going to play. I don't think he's in the mix for that starting power forward position. It is going to be Vonley, Aminu, Leonard, and Swanigan as those options there. And and I don't see Collins being a, being a part of that. But I, any of those guys, maybe Aminu or, or Vonley, any of them worth taking a look at as a last pick in a fantasy league? I would lean Aminu as maybe you take a fly there, but I'm not really excited about it um yeah I mean, you might find yourself in a position where you would take a flyer on one of those guys at the at the end of your draft to see how it pans out um but i mean it would, it would have to be a 12 team draft i'm not gonna be reaching for those guys most likely in a 10 team draft i don't think um yeah and it's it's just too hard right now to say which one of those guys you should lean toward taking um, because it's it's just up in the air. I mean, I think Mo Harkless should start at small forward. Yep. Aminu should back up small forward and power forward. Yep. And then, honestly, Noah Vonley will end up starting there by the third week of the season. So this is really just the, any talk of Caleb Swanigan jumping up and being like the guy that his teammates are pimping him out to be is is a little bit of delusions, I think. I think Swanigan's just, he looks impressive when he's out there because he's this big dude and he can make plays and he can hit the three-point shot. Um, but he was not a great shot blocker in college. So, and whether or not he can guard modern fours in the NBA, I don't, I don't know if he can yet. And I don't think he can guard centers great either. So there's just so much in question about Caleb Swanigan's defense that I don't think that you can say his offense is going to be something you want to lean on because I mean, all the shots in this offense are going to Damian CJ and Nurkic anyways. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sacramento Kings, their small forward position is still up in the air. There's Vince Carter, there's Garrett Temple, there's Bogdan Bogdanovich, there's rookie Justin Jackson. I think it's going to be Bogdanovich who gets the bulk of those minutes there. I think Temple is probably um, a challenge to be a starter, but we're hearing a little bit of talk about Justin Jackson potentially being in that mix. I, I don't buy that for Jackson to be there, but I think we're in agreement that Bogdanovich is the guy that we're looking for. If Justin Jackson is getting good minutes this year to start the season, it's as a small ball four. I don't see it coming at at small forward, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, Bogdan Bogdanovich, they paid him $9 million a year to come and play, and he's going to play, and he's going to start at small forward because Buddy Heald's there. I just don't know how you see another reasoning behind this whole situation. Maybe, maybe Garrett Temple throws a wrench into this, but... Based on the fact that they traded for they traded Demarcus to get Buddy Heald, I, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around things going a different way. Yeah, I I, I agree. We, we both love love Bogdanovich as a late pick uh, as well, just for what he can do. And I I think there's a massive chance that he can be better than Buddy Heald for as early as you know, sometime this season. I'm not a, you know not what? A big here's, guy. here's the thing. Like I don't know what it is about the Kings the Kings like writers and stuff. And maybe they've just been living in such a you know, labyrinth of um, just craziness for so long with that front office and how it's changed and how it's always been a terrible front office back to the days that they were signing Marcus Thornton to four-year extensions they didn't need to. And because when I listen to or I read a lot of these, uh, the the Kings writers, and I'm like, look, dude, I love love all the coverage we get from these guys, and I think they do a great job. But some of the perspectives sometimes when you're talking about, like, Frank Mason being, like, more, like, Uh, like, Frank Mason's going to fit in where he fits in, all right? But George Hill and De'Aaron Fox are getting 
all the point guard minutes from the first game. Frank Mason's not going to muddle up De'Aaron Fox's minutes, and if that's happening, that's because De'Aaron Fox did something to get taken out of the rotation or not deserve those minutes. It's not because Frank Mason's a, a four-year college player and he's coming in here with a you know, mindset to win. and he, All that kind of crap. Sorry about that music. Just uh, hit, hit the wrong button. But yeah, I agree with you kind completely. Kind of appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's, it's like you're at the Oscars. I'm just trying to wrap you up. Just uh, pl- play you off the stage. Not it's like all. an ironic drum. It was like, <laughs> this guy's getting pumped up about something he shouldn't get pumped up about. <laughs> I need to watch where my hands go when I'm uh, when I'm doing this. So I don't hit my soundboard here. Um, let's talk Spurs. There's not much rotation. Someone asked me today, oh, is Rudy Gay going to start or come off the bench? There's, there's nowhere for him to start. He's not starting. There's, it's not happening. Um, unless they play Aldridge at center, which they're not. Gay, again, is a 31-year-old man coming off a torn Achilles, which happened in late January. Um, that's not good. <laughs> It's just, it's, it's not good. If he, if he recovers, it'll be next season. And by then, he'll be 32. So the decline is significant. Now he's a, he can be a decent bench piece at 20-ish minutes, at 20 plus minutes a game, 25 minutes a game. He, he can do that. He can back up Kawhi for a bit, but will his athleticism be tested on the wing with the Achilles? Maybe. Can he back up Aldridge at the four? That's probably his best spot uh, at this point. But yeah, he, he's not starting and I don't think he's really worth a standard league pick. But their backup big man, it, it's pretty ugly. We've got Joffrey Laverne there. I'm assuming we've got Aldridge and Powell as the starters. Joffrey Laverne's the other big man. But then what do they do? Davis Bertans is going to have to see uh, a bigger role, I believe, this season. Um yeah, what what else happens in in this front court for for deeper league players? Do you like Bertans as a guy that's uh, going to take a big step forward this year? Uh, um, you know, we saw David Lee play plenty last year. We saw Dwayne Dedman play plenty, and Paul Gasol was taken out of the starting lineup for the second half of last season yeah. and half of the playoff games last year too. So it's hard to say exactly who's going to start next to Lamarcus Aldridge in the front court. How many minutes Paul Gasol is going to play? Because if I was in projecting it this year. It looks like Powell should play more this season than what he played last year. Potentially the same for LaMarcus because you're right. The guys behind them are, they're just, Joffrey Laverne isn't David Lee. Yeah. Yeah. And Davis Bertons, he's, it's, is he, is he ready to take on a, a, a bigger role this year or just making sure that he plays in every single game that he's available for and things like that? I don't know if they'll go that route. Um, maybe the bringing in Rudy Gay is going to force them to play Kawhi or Rudy at power forward a I lot. So. And then we see those and I, and, and that'll be great. I hope that's what we see because, and, and it's not like, it's not like Popovich is, is against changing his perception of the league and trying to do new things. We've seen him do that. He's very malleable, even if other people may not want to want to believe that he is. So, um, I, I almost feel like they set up this roster more this season so that they can have a lot of those looks where LaMarcus and Pau Gasol are exclusively playing at center and you're getting getting more of those stretch four looks from Bertans, from Kyle Anderson, from Rudy Gay and Kawhi Leonard. I'm glad you mentioned Kyle Anderson because I forgot to mention him, but he's another guy who can play at the four there as well and offers uh, an intriguing skill set with his assists and steal ability from that power forward position. The last team we want to look at here is the Utah Jazz and the small forward position with Gordon Haywood leaving. We assume it's going to be Joe Ingles that moves into that role, but there is some, I guess, some uh, volatility there with the addition of Tybo Cephalosha there also, who could who could eat into um, Joe's playing time. Now, when I spoke to David Locke, he was 
thinking maybe Joe doesn't get the 30 minutes. Maybe they they limit him a little bit and play uh, play Cephalosha there and run Ingles with that, that second unit a, a little bit also. Maybe he's not a guarantee to start. There's Donovan Mitchell who might get some extra playing time there as well. Are you still feeling pretty good about Ingles as a, as a late-round target to get those threes at decent efficiency with steals and assists? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ingles is a good late-round target. Um, but, yeah, there's... There are there have been you know I only I do want to get him later than what I'm actually able to get him in some respects this season because I I am questioning whether or not Tabo Cephalosha gets uh, more minutes than what I projected him for whether or not Joe Johnson gets more minutes at small forward this year if De- Derek Favors is healthy all season and, um, and and those are things I'm taking into consideration or or at least worth taking into consideration when when looking at these things. Um, yeah, it's it'll be fun to see exactly how this Utah roster spins out because even a guy like Rodney Hood, we we expected him to step up last season and to be more than what he was and to play more minutes than what he did, and he just he didn't. Yeah, he so didn't. Um, you know, if if Rodney Hood struggles and maybe Tabo Cephalosian is getting minutes at shooting guard or maybe Joe Ingles is rolling down to shooting guard and Joe Johnson is playing minutes at small forward, I it'll it'll be really interesting to see how this team figures everything's out figures everything out and how they kind of weigh thing, weigh the difference uh, between players in regards to the offensive things they'll get from them versus the defensive things they'll get. That does it for the Western Conference rotation volatility, but we do need to talk about one thing, and that is the Dwayne Wade situation. He's been bought out by Chicago. We referenced that earlier in talking about guys like Valentine and Holiday, but now he is signed with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that makes for a really interesting situation in the, in the backcourt there in Cleveland. There's real disaster potential there. Wade was um, lazy at times last season. His defense was abysmal. Obviously, he's back with LeBron, but this is not 2010 Dwayne Wade. This is not the Dwayne Wade who's going to be playing 30-plus minutes a night. This is a team that does not give a shit about the regular season most of the time, so you're going to see him rested, I believe, more. Um, With Isaiah Thomas out, I think that they should, and we know that Dwayne Wade's been promised a starting spot. I think they start him next to J.R. Smith, and I think that Derrick Rose should come off the bench. That's how... Yeah, and let Wade run, let Wade and LeBron be the point guards. We know that when they were in Miami, and again, this is four years ago, that Mario Chalmers was the point guard, but he wasn't the point guard. Wade and LeBron were the point guards, and I think that's what they should do. Play Wade and LeBron as the two ball handlers in that starting unit and play J.R. Smith alongside them and have Rose come off the bench, um, with, with Corver in that situation. How do you, how do you see this for Wade? Does he become undraftable in your opinion? And what does it do with with Rose and and Smith? And how, how do you see all that playing out? Yeah, Wade and Rose might be undraftable. I think now. Rose definitely. Is. Um, I just took Rose in our head to head mock draft yesterday with the final pick in the thirteenth round of the twelve team league. But that was that was my final pick. I was saying, oh, Isaiah Thomas is definitely going to be out until January. Derrick Rose is going to be the starter. But now that Dwayne Wade's into this situation, see, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to see Wade not starting next to Derrick Rose. Um, Man, that has that, that. Two guys who can't, can't Wade defend at, and can't shoot. It's I mean, horrible. has Wade ever just straight out started at point guard before? And I know it's different playing next to LeBron. Um, not really. But I, again, I, I sort of think that he did in Miami because Chalmers wasn't initiating anything like right. he wasn't running anything at all he was there but he was basically just to go stand in the corner mario and hit threes like he wasn't initiating shit while he was playing for miami it was 
basically, even though yeah, you look at them, oh yeah, Mario's shorter than Dwayne Wade, so therefore he must be the point guard. But it was LeBron and Wade who were the point guards on that team. I don't think you could really argue too much about that, even though the designation was that Chalmers was the point guard. And playing Wade next to J.R. Smith, you go, oh, neither of these guys is a point guard. But I, I think that's what they'll do. If they, play, if they play Rose and Wade as the starting backcourt, that is just two guys who cannot shoot and two guys who are going to use a lot of possessions, and two guys who don't give a shit on defense. They won't do anything. That is that is a real recipe for disaster, in my opinion, to start those two together. I love that casual fans are probably really excited about the idea of Derrick oh, Rose, definitely. Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James playing together, whereas I'm just... And I mean, Isaiah Thomas is on this team, too. Like, what, what is going on? And then Kevin Love is the kind of guy that you just dump the ball into in some respects, you know, when he's not hanging out on the wing. Yeah, this is a dude. This is trying to understand exactly how the ball is going to move on this team is like having two black holes out in the universe too close to each other, and it's going to cause calamity. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. And where's the defense? There's no. There's like, no I mean, defense. I'm I'm sitting here telling myself, wait a minute, they can't start Dwayne Wade because of J.R. Smith's defense. J.R. Smith's like, a much better defender than Derek Rose and Dwayne Wade, though. Right, but I mean, what is that? But that's not saying a, a ton, is it? No. No, because because it's not. I mean, we're not we're not looking at J.R. Smith, and you don't go, oh, he's a three and D guy. No, you go, he's a three guy. How's like, uh, that's has, what J.R. How's Tristan Thompson going to be feeling uh, if he ha- if he has to start alongside LeBron, Love, um, Wade, and Rose? He would just be like tearing his hair out. Like he's got to cover every position because LeBron doesn't I mean, care if about you, defense in the regular season. If you want to make this situation work, then you take Tristan Thompson out of the starting lineup, and I realize. I'm a Tristan Thompson hater, and that's probably all people are going to focus on when I say that. But, like, wouldn't you want Kevin Love stretching out that floor so that you can actually have those cutters and Wade and, and Derrick Rose? Because, dude, I don't see a way that those two guys don't start right now. Because yeah, that, that's the thing. You'll have one shooter, and like, LeBron's not a shooter. Like, you'll have Kevin Love who can shoot, and you'll have LeBron, Wade, Rose, Thompson. And, and you'll team. have your one shooter, the guy who can. It's just bizarre, man. It is, uh, it is definitely a bizarre situation. But yeah, I don't see Wade or Rose as being really draftable anymore in, uh, in standard leagues. Kyle, I think we've, uh, we've wrapped this up. Just give a quick plug to, uh, your article that you just wrote that the mock well, draft and tell, or have you got something else you want to add? Well, I mean, everybody's talking about Kevin Love potentially taking on a larger scoring yeah, road to, not load to begin the season. I don't see, well, I mean, I always have a hard time imagining that with Derek Rose being the, the lead point guard yeah. or Isaiah Thomas being the lead point guard. So now you're throwing Dwayne Wade in the mix and it's like, hell no. Yep. No, it's it's dropping back off. So he 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 falls into that third round area pretty nicely. But people who are thinking he was going to be a top twenty guy for the first three months, uh, I don't. I think that dream is dead. Um. And then what, Jose? Call, I, uh, so then, I mean, you, we were talking about a little bit before the show, but people have to get waived from this team or traded too. So Iman Shumpert, Jose Calderon, Jeff Green, Richard Jefferson. I don't know, man. Someone's got to go. Like. <laughs> And then how many minutes does Kyle Korver play off the bench now? Like, are you really just throwing him out there for a handful of minutes? I don't know. It's all it's all confusing. It is very weird. I have updated that over on Basketball Monster, though, so you can go and check out how my projections look for the Cavs. Kyle is going to do the same with his projections as well, so you can go and check those out on Basketball Monster. Go and follow Kyle on Twitter at RotoKyleNBA and check out the mock draft video and podcast I did yesterday and then compare it to Kyle's written article on that same mock draft for different perspectives on that uh, on that draft. Kyle, thank you for coming back on. Hey, thanks for having me, Josh. No problem. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Patrick Patterson.